Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Working with Humans. My name is Matt Phelan. I am co-founder and head of Global Happiness at the Happiness Index and I'm here with the amazing Natasha Wallace. Uh, how are you Natasha? Founder and chief coach of Conscious Works. I'm good thank you. Sorry for interrupting you already. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> how's, how, how's life Natasha? It's good yeah I mean the sun's shining which always helps isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, and you started to introduce yourself. Lots of people know you um, as the author of, uh, of uh, Conscious Works and the, uh, Conscious Effect. But tell us a little bit more about yourself, your, your story, what got, you to, what got you to where you are now. Okay, well, I mean, I spent my um, career in HR. I mean, I started off as a recruitment consultant many, many years ago and then uh, was always fascinated by, <clears throat> I guess, the wider employee experience piece um so got into hr um and was a an hr professional until around three years ago when i when i left to set up my business conscious work so I mean, i've spent most of my career working in um organizational development leadership development um sort of employee value proposition type of work um and now in conscious works i um well we as a company um, help organisations to create cultures of well-being, and we, we do that in various different ways. So, thanks, Natasha. And for for those um, for those listeners that know that I'm writing my happiness book at the moment, this um, happiness short is is part of that process. And I have to let people know that Natasha is the one of the people that inspired me to write my book. Um, so I feel really privileged that you, you you've come on to um, this show. Um, but before we get into the to the detailed stuff, Natasha, I've got to ask you, what makes you happy? Uh, well, I instantly go to my children because uh, <laughs> on a difficult, it sounds really cheesy, doesn't it? But on a difficult day when, when you know, you, you're getting frustrated or you're exhausted, um, one of your kids coming up to you and showing you what they've just built on Roblox yeah. is uh, a very grounding experience. Uh, but I mean, apart from apart from that, uh, spending time out in nature, spending time with friends. I love going to a coffee shop, um, working out of hotels, um, getting a bit of space for myself, um, taking the dog for a walk, all those sorts of things. I know, I've got to say, Natasha, when in that in that world where we could actually meet up in person, um, one of my favourite things from your book launch was actually the fact that your daughter was there it was I thought it was really beautiful yeah it was it was so nice to have her there um I mean it's interesting now because of course we're working from home yeah. all of the time and so the kids are seeing me work all the time but you know when I did the book launch that was a really unusual circumstance um, and I thought it was really nice to expose her to the world of work because uh, my world of work because of course you're missing from your kids lives so much and I think that when they understand what you're doing, it's um, it just really helps them to, uh, I guess, get a, get a bit of an insight into your world. I mean, I know I know you've done the same, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I grew up on a farm, so it was normal to be at work with your parents. Um, yeah. And for both of your parents to be working together, so it yeah it seeped in. But then when I when I saw you there, and obviously when she bought you the flowers and everything at the end. It's a bit like our client director um, said that he's not he's got to know his clients so well through COVID because he's got to meet their families. 
Um, yeah. and I suppose it was that moment before COVID when getting to meet one of your family makes your book make even more sense. Oh, well, that's, yeah, that's really good. So that leads me into the second sort of technical question, which is what is actually, what is conscious leadership, Natasha? What does it actually mean? Well, so, I mean, I came up with my concept of conscious leadership um, really soon after leaving paid employment. I was grappling with, um, I guess, I guess, one of the biggest challenges of the modern working world, which is how do you keep people happy and feeling well at work and enable them to perform? And I'd seen so much through my career that got in the way of that, got in the way of people being happy and healthy at work. But I in, also in, your, in yourself, Natasha, or in your teams, or both, everything, myself, my team. Um, yeah, I mean, because because I got it, I got it wrong too, um, and in, in the wider teams, but also outside of outside of um, my organisation. I mean, interestingly, I was reflecting on this the other day, and I thought there was all it was almost like a series of events that led me to leave my job and set up my company. Um, and one of those events was my sister was getting married. This was in September 2017, and we had a hen do in the summer. Um, and so there was a massive group of women all together for the weekend. We all went away to the country and we were all sat around having dinner one night. And there must have been, I mean, there must have been 20, 20 odd of us there, if, if not more. And we were all talking about work and almost every single person sat around that table was unhappy. And it was such, I was already starting to come to the realisation that I needed to do something about this and that mental health and mental ill health was becoming more prevalent. And I really was struggling to justify that, justify yeah. why that was okay and the fact that it was being normalised in the working world. And I just sat around that table that day. I was the oldest one there. My sister's 10 years younger than me. Um, so these weren't people who'd been in the workplace for a really long time and they'd become bitter. You know, a lot of them were, were in their 20s um, and they weren't happy. And so I just thought, this is not cool. And some of them had mental health issues themselves that yeah. seemed to me were being created by work and poor management, poor leadership. And then another thing that happened around the same time was I was speaking to a very senior leader and I said to him, but nobody's happy. And he laughed at me and said, well, that's OK. No, nobody's happy in the industry. And so I sad thought, to hear that. Isn't oh, it? What? Like, how how have we gotten to a point? And this isn't a blame game. I think that this is a systemic issue in organisations because we haven't learned how to run them in a way that enables people to sort of, you know, stay happy. But I thought, how have we gotten to a point where a senior leader it's so desensitized to this issue yeah. that when I say to him, nobody's happy, he's sort of like, yeah, well, I'm not happy either. Let, you know, let's just crack on. So would you, call, it, that, would I, you call that unconscious leadership? Uh, yeah, I would. And I think that's, that's what led me to think, right, what is it that enables people to be happy and healthy in the workplace? And then the five aspects of conscious leadership sort of almost just fell out of me. Yeah. I didn't have to give that much thought to it. I'm going to, test, it I'm going to about, test you on your own five. Okay, what, what yeah, five? Okay. <laughs> um, so being self-aware, which, which I call in conscious leadership as being awake, 
um, really understanding yourself and your biases, your programming, and whether that's enabling or disabling you and, and the people around you. Um, then it's the extent to which you've got a growth mindset. So in the conscious leadership model, I call that growing. Um, and the extent to which you're coaching yourself and others to be able to be at their best. And also, you know, other aspects like focusing on strengths and the things that give you energy come into that too. Um, another sort of wider organisational aspect is purpose. So being very clear about what the purpose of the organisation is, ideally a higher purpose, something higher than just making money. Yeah. Um, and then aligning people to that purpose. So, you know, we talk about winning hearts and minds in business. I think often we, we have the minds aligned, but we don't have the hearts. Yeah, and totally I see agree. that, you know, where organizations are very purposeful about making a difference um, and creating some sort of societal benefit. It creates so much energy in the organization that enables people to maintain both their ha health and happiness. Um, then it's around togetherness. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's tons of stuff around psychological safety and inclusion now being talked about, certainly in the world of HR. But um, I, I talk about togetherness as part of conscious leadership. So creating an environment where people feel that it's okay to speak up, can spend time together socially and that's okay. You know, they can down tools and they can talk and they can be with each other. Yeah. And we've seen in the recent months that, you know, that's become so important. We've really realised the significance that we play to each other in the workplace. Yeah. Um, because, we've because we've been taking away from each other and we've been having to be so much more conscious about how we enable those connections. And then the final aspect is resilience. And actually, you know, there's an argument to say that when you have all of those other aspects right, that yeah. resilience just happens and then you create you know a, a sustainable business that can produce long-term results but part of building resilience isn't just about the organization we're part of it's about the mindset that we adopt ourselves and it can be hard to maintain a positive mindset when we're sort of blocked and there's a lot of strain in the workplace through workloads through bureaucracy through poor line management so it is about balancing out the the internal stuff that's going on with us, within us as well as the external stuff that's going on around us and both leaders and us as sort of individuals and employees have a role to play in becoming more conscious about that yeah um really interesting Natasha and really useful um on to the third question one of the things that surprised me the most last year so all the happiness index data goes into an anonymous um, database that we call the happiness universe. When um, we pulled that database last year, when I was trying to look um, for something else, I found a really surprising statistic that the unhappiest profession um, in our database was HR professionals. Um, interestingly, was it also engineers were in there. And um, just one little bit of data for everyone is since COVID, engineers have flown into the top five. Um, which I think says a lot around what um, the types of personalities of engineers and open plan office space, which is not what I want to talk about today, but we should come back to <laughs> um, because they're definitely thriving away from the office. Um, but what I want to ask you is, do you think the happiness of HR professionals is important? Um, I mean, yes, of course. Um, I ended up being a very unhappy HR person, although I spent most of my career happy, but I was I was pretty resilient and pretty robust. But also I recognised that over the course of my career, I also almost ended up having to put sort of 
armor around me in order to deal with the very challenging scenarios that people in HR face. It's never easy making people redundant, dealing with grievances and disciplinaries, following ridiculously outdated and bureaucratic legal systems, which yeah. actually prevent us from having very honest and open grown-up conversations with people in the workplace sometimes. Yeah. Um, and actually, there's a lot of HR people that just aren't happy. It's a very pressurised job. It's very stressful. You're having to play good cop and bad cop. So on the one hand, you're saying that you want to create an amazing workplace where people can be really, really happy. And then on the other hand, you're rating people and um, having to discipline them um, and yep. having to manage them for underperformance. So it's, uh, it, I think it's almost become like a mashup role, which doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, and also, if you're not happy as an HR person, um, I mean, you, you know this, you guys are heavily into neuroscience. If you, if you don't feel, um, you know, if you don't have a healthy mind, if you don't have a happy mind, um, what you have instead is a sort of stressed adult mind, which yeah. means that you don't make good decisions. You don't have the human touch necessarily. You don't consider the thoughts and feelings of other people. And of course, in HR, you have to do that. You have to see the whole system. You have to see the impact the things are having on the leaders, on the employees, and of course, then out to the customers. Yeah. Um, really, really have to understand that human side of life. But if you're stressed and under pressure yourself, it's so much harder to be compassionate. Yeah. So yeah, it's sort of it's sort of essential for HR to be happy. So that leads me on to the next question, Natasha, around that role of HR that you're talking about there um, and what a role a HR person is expected to do. Have, have you seen that? There's a lot of talk, isn't there, about HR changing? Have seen actual change in HR? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say no to this question and then when I reflected on it more, I realised that the answer is probably yes. So, I mean, back in the day when HR was personnel, so, you know, if I think back maybe 17, 18 years ago to when I first came into HR. Um, I think HR wanted to play a bigger role in the business and wanted to be a commercial aspect of the business in many respects. And in the bigger organizations, they were already doing that. But in many businesses, they were sort of a tea and tissue function where they put policy and process in place. And actually it was the managers and leaders of the business who ran the people side of things. Yeah. Um, I think that maybe in some instances there's, there's an over-dependency now on HR to sort the people side of things out, yeah. which I don't think is right. You know, I think that HR are enablers of human environments or happy environments, but I don't think that they are the answer because actually the relationship between managers and leaders is, is pivotal. Yeah. But I do think that HR are and can work in more of a partnership role now than they ever did. So rather than sort of administer, administering the policy, they're there to be able to advise and guide and counsel leaders and managers on how they can better support the people in the organization. And also we've there's so much more evidence now, um, both based on neuroscience and also um, you know, the evidence that's come out of seeing things that have, you know, worked and failed. Performance management frameworks being a really good example of that. You know, when GE put performance management into their organization years ago and thought that that would really work for driving performance, 
And now we're in an era where we see that actually annual appraisals don't work too well. Yeah. And continuous performance management and regular conversations and agile goals and regular feedback um, and relationships between managers and employees are the thing that actually sort of fuel people and energize them. Yeah. Um, we know so much more now about how to optimize um, people in the working environment and how to motivate them and how to keep them happy. Yeah. And HR, you know, HR have a responsibility for sharing that evidence and sharing that knowledge. But we've also got so much more data. You know, there's so much data. If you know how to use it properly, if you know how to um, uh, analyze it in a way that helps you to understand what's going on in your organization you can shape your strategy your policies and the ways of working around that i think we're still learning how to use data but evidence and data have changed things dramatically and of course technology has too tech's been around for a while but it's um, it's really helping us it's almost a sort of new um, paradigm in helping us to lead more effectively. Yeah, I love it when people use data to, to help everyone in the boardroom park their ego and just listen to what's <laughs> going on in the business. Because you know what it's like when people, everyone's just trying to get their opinion out there. You just get yeah. that data in there and everyone just sits and listens. But on, on data and human behavior, um, how, can un, how can an understanding of human, of human behavior help HR and the, and the leadership in the business? I mean, God, it's interesting because when I worked in HR, I had a much lesser understanding of human behavior than I do now. That's um, and I would have said, in itself, isn't it? Well, exactly. I would have said back then that I had everything I needed to be able to develop a, a good people strategy. But now it's so much easier. Understand? I mean, neuroscience has helped me. Really understanding evidence and the behavioral science behind things has really helped me um, and helped us do you know better quality work with people because actually you get out of the academia of things you get out of the intellectual mind and you get into the um, human side of things and i think for decades we've been trapped in um, theory and intellect and yeah. actually what we need to be driving through business now is just a um, an understanding of being human. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And actually, you know, this is why data isn't helpful. You know, if we only depend on data, and I mean, I mean quants data more than yeah. sort of qualitative stuff, but if we only depend on that, then it only gives us one side of the story. Yeah. But actually speaking to people and hearing them and listening to their experiences and doing that regularly, yeah. I think that's the only way that we are going to be able to shape people's strategies and shape organisations that really meets people's needs. I agree. My advice on that is always to be the difference between be data driven but human led. Um, and they yeah. are very different because I see a lot of mistakes where people try and be data led. Um, and there's a huge difference between data-driven and human-led, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, your final question, we've got about 65 seconds to answer it, but if, you wanna, if you've got a bit more time, uh, feel free. Um, but is happiness important in conscious leadership? Can you, can you have conscious leadership without happiness, I suppose would be another way of phrasing that? Well, so, I mean, we're just doing a piece of research into conscious leadership at the moment, and we've, we've almost concluded our interviews. And what's been really interesting to see is so much commonality in the attributes of a conscious leader. So, you know, things like being self-aware, having integrity, and being inclusive all came out. 
there's something else that's sort of like an underlying theme that runs through conscious leadership themes confidence and humility, um, which almost points to this sort of relaxedness, this ability to um, sort of relax into your role and um, be contented and content in your own skin. And, yeah. and of course, there's a happiness there. If you're happy with who you are, and if you're happy um, generally, you sort of exude an energy that enables other people. So sometimes I will speak, I will coach people, and they'll talk about the impact that their leader is having on them because their leader is very stressed, yeah. um, or whatever. But the ripple effect that that causes in the team is so significant. Yeah. And often you'll find that, you know, the team will be working energetically on one level and actually be quite quite calm and um, sort of rational. And then the leader comes into that and they're feeling very stressed and they're anxious. And it really shifts the focus of um, the team's energy and it really impacts them and it makes it much harder for them. Yeah. So I sort of think it goes without saying. I don't mean like, you know, a leader needs to be bounding around, smiling from ear to ear, um, always excited and always yeah. sort of, you know, you know what I mean? But I think there is almost like a, a calmness that comes with happiness that leaders need to try and maintain. Yeah. Natasha Wallace, that has been absolutely brilliant. As ever, I have learned so much. And my final thing is to say thank you for taking this time to, to share with us your knowledge and answer these questions for us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Lovely to speak to you. Cheers, Natasha. Catch you later. Bye.